Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We're still very much knee-deep in tech, and this is episode 64, recorded on the 20th of February 2019. That might actually be the cleanest intro I've ever done. Well done. I'm kind of impressed. So am I, actually. So am I. And you have been knee-deep in snow this week. That's that's actually true, because I went to... Uh, Luleå, <laughs> which is very, very far away in the north. Yep. And the funny thing is that they had minus 25 degrees centigrade for like two, three weeks. And the day before I came up there, they had a meter of snow just out of basically nowhere. Yep. And when I came up around one, two degrees uh, negative centigrade and... As, as you like it. Yeah, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. <laughs> so that, that was kind of cool. And just getting on a plane where you have snow up to your ankles, or I was about to say up to your thighs, and flying for an hour and stepping out in Stockholm, and it was five degrees centigrade raining. Yeah. And not a trace of snow. So we have some serious distance here in, in Sweden. Yeah, but it, it was it was good fun, and I'll just jump right into this this week's discussion because I've had a, a discussion with a colleague, and we have been discussing SQL Server in in general and technical decisions in particular, and this is where I'm kind of curious to hear your take on things. Oh, high availability. Yeah, what does that mean? That's a very good question. I think we've had similar discussions in terms of backup, in terms of load balancing, in terms of a lot of other things we say, which can mean pretty much anything, depending on who you ask. Yeah. To me, high availability means the ability to reach something regardless of what happens to the underlying infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about high availability when it comes to Config Manager, as an example, mm -hmm. that means that you should be able to patch your infrastructure without degrading the actual service you're delivering. Right. So the ability to deliver services, keep your SLAs, regardless of something breaks down in the underlying infrastructure. Fair enough. And you used a very important uh, three-letter abbreviation there, SLA. Yeah. Service level agreements. And that, that's that's kind of the, the linchpin of this whole discussion. Because in this specific instance, I define high availability as availability despite having some kind of infrastructure failure. Yep. And that's, that's an easy enough definition. And what we had here was a colleague of mine asking me, okay, I have a client who is running always on availability groups. That's a high availability solution for SQL Server. It was introduced in 2012, and in this case, they were running like 20, 2016 and 2017. Yep. And we started looking at the kinds of issues they had, and in this case, it was thread pool starvation. And, and that comes from the fact that depending on the number of CPUs you have, you have a a default set of threads that yep. SQL Server can use. And it's not that easy to, to calculate how many threads SQL Server is actually going to be using. Nope. Um, so 
started looking at it and it turns out that they were trying to run like over a hundred databases <laughs> and that, that's that's okay you, you yep. can do that but not on an eighth core machine that's a very a very stressed out machine well in this case it wasn't because it didn't have any threads ah so yeah, yeah. good point. it was it was pretty much idling but nothing worked <laughs> which is a bit of a bummer yeah and, and this this drove home the point that okay why are we doing this why do we need this high availability? And that's yep. when we started to look at why. Yep. And this is where the SLAs comes into play. Yep. And they didn't have any. No. Nope. I think that that's something that we as technicians may sometimes sometimes look at as boring, unnecessary, something we need to adhere, even though we didn't set them from the start. But they are vital to give us something to fall back on. If we think we're doing a good job keeping the service up and running for 99% of the time. And we don't have an SLA. It's very hard for us to say we're doing a good job. And it's very easy for someone else to say you're doing a bad job since it was only up 99% and you should be up 99.99%. Sure. So it's a matter of keeping sane and have reasonable expectations depending on your infrastructure. Yep, reasonable expectations is a very good way of point, putting it. Yep. And it's it's pretty much the, the compass. Yep. Do you need to do this in order to um, complete your SLA? Yes yep. or no? And in this case, the only reason they were running always on availability groups is that they think it's cool. Oh. And while I agree it is cool, yep. but the level of complexity yep. that you add is so huge way bigger than most people realize especially if you start piling on the number of databases that you are not going to increase your availability quite the opposite you're definitely going to decrease it and that's my main concern when it comes to exotic ways of keeping sql server alive clusters they add a level of complexity that is not necessarily that high but you get a reasonable increase in in availability when it yep. comes to always on availability groups a whole different kettle of fish yep. it's so much more complex to work with so in the end we decided to no skip this stay away from anything that can be construed as a cluster or high availability because of they don't have the infrastructure and they don't have the people to support it yep and in the end that's going to give them better availability yep and by god make sure you have an SLA to to fall back on, as you said. So basically, you can say it's impossible to define high availability without an SLA. Yes. Yep. Yes, absolutely. It is completely impossible. Yep. And SLAs, that's not a technical thing. Yep. That's that's people. That's that's business. Yeah. Always, always the business. And again, as I've said to my my clients in, in the North, that IT is... North of the wall. Pretty much north of the wall, yeah. Come April. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be interesting. But yeah, it's it's about people. It's about business and the tech has no point in being uh, unless you're supporting business. Yep. And I think we have had that discussion previously when it we comes have. to other, other things that are business goals and business processes like ITIL or mm-hmm. whatever you want to use 
it may sound boring, it may be boring, but it's vital and it's something we need to look at as technicians in a new way because that's one of the skills we need to have moving forward to understand process, to understand business, to understand SLAs and see the value of it instead of seeing the perhaps painful implementation of it. True, and I'd like to add one more thing. We are the only one pretty much that can bridge the gap between business and tech. And that means understanding the impact of the SLA. The the classic discussion is, I want this database to be running 100% all the time, just fix it. And the DBA goes, sure, I can do that. It's going to cost you like 2 million bucks a month. And suddenly the requirements go down. Yep. So it's all interrelated, which is kind of cool. Yep. And that also brings me to another thing. And this is is something that I think you can have a lot of impact on. Monitoring. Yep. We had a discussion yesterday about monitoring. And since I'm, I'm coming from the DBA side, I always want my databases to be proactive whenever something happens in my database i wanted to scream bloody murder and shoot emails to pretty much everything everyone and their dog (laughs) just saying hey hey i'm broken fix me and one of the the um sysadmins at the client said but we have systems sent to operations manager shouldn't that take care of it and my response to that was twofold one is yes maybe do you know what it does? And two, do you have any alerts in Scrum? Yep. And he said, no, and yes, I do. And in the first case, <laughs> he, he does not ex- exactly know what the management packs do. And I said, well, then you don't know. Yep. And by doing things manually in SQL Server, you know exactly what it does. Yep. And consistently. And then the main issues that I have in with with um, SCOM is all the alerts yep. that you, in many cases, just cannot kill. Yep. And I think that I, I used to work a bit with SCOM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful in many ways, but it's very complex. And again, it focuses on the soft parts you need to put up first. Mm. I've seen so many SCOM implementations where we have they put up the installation, imported a bunch of management packs, and off you go. Yeah. And that is a certain path to failure. Yes. Because you will get alerts high and low. Many of them won't be of any use to you. And the ones that are of use will be drowned in all the other ones. Yeah, exactly. So I remember we actually worked on a SCOM implementation together. Yep, we did. Um, that's that was, that was perhaps, fun. That's the only time we worked together. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's true. Yeah. And at that particular customer we did everything right. We put up the infrastructure and we then imported one management pack per yep. server release. Yeah. And did a bunch of testing and tweaking before releasing it to an actual production environment. And that's exhausting. It takes a lot of time, but the end result is so much better and you need to have someone on the other end, in this case yourself for the databases, that knows what to monitor and what not to monitor with SCOM and complement that with 
integrated monitoring Eden SQL Server. Yeah, because well, what I would recommend people to do in this case was to connect the the uh, alerts in SQL Server to SCOM. Yeah. But one of the, the biggest gripes that I have with SCOM is the sheer amount of false alarms, if you will. Yep. But you need to tweak it a lot because yes. the default settings in the management packs aren't at all representing a no. real-world scenario. No. And the, the, the sheer amount of work that you need to put in to SCOM to get it to work right yeah. is staggering. Yeah. I think I can't remember how many hours we put down to it, but I think the actual technical implementation were, say, 24 hours mm -hmm. for one pre-production and one production environment. Yep. But to tweak the monitoring of one single Windows operating system, that was perhaps 40 hours. Yeah, and they needed less than 15 minutes to screw everything up. <laughs> Which is kind of impressive in and of itself. Yep. So, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much my, um, my, nor my uh, Nordic tour. I was <laughs> Your Nordic say, my, my, my cold tour. Your my cold. Arctic tour. <laughs> yeah, Arctic DBA. Arctic DBA went to the Arctic. True. I w is that north of the Arctic Circle? No, it isn't. It's still a bit south. No, 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 south. no, no, no. It's, it's, it's not that far. <laughs> it's still, it must be close to the same distance as going to Amsterdam from Linköping. You know, it's I, not well. It's it's one hour and ten minutes. So it's from Stockholm, yes. From Stockholm, yeah. So it's slightly, slightly. no. I I think you're right. I, I think, think it's right. the same different. The, and then different. you still have like half Sweden left. Yeah, yeah. One of the student clubs of Linköping University has the tagline "A thousand kilometers from mom." <laughs> so that that's kind of that's kind of cool. Yeah. And um, so what's next? So what's next? Well. I just gotta gotta ask you eight characters Windows passwords. You're screwed. Yeah, yeah. they can be cracked under two and a half hours. Yep. For using with, hardware with, a, with like a customer grade graphics card. No, not one. Okay. But a a number. So so you, you still can buy it in any electronic store. Yeah, it's it's GPU yeah. Um, processed. So so or GPU accelerated. I should yeah. say. So it's it's doable, and you can rent. Yep. These kinds of machines yep. in Amazon or Azure. Yep. So yeah, eight characters, any characters equals completely unsafe. But then again, like th that's not new in a way because passwords aren't safe. In general, you need to have something other than passwords regardless of the length of them. Well, th th that we say that an eight-character password is safe is, is because, or used to be safe at least, mm -hmm. that's because that's the... <laughs> the highest amount of characters that a normal human being can remember to authenticate to an AD. And, and that's why I think a complex password is just a, a tremendous waste of time. Yep. It is dumb. Yep. Have a normal sentence instead, and yep. you have made things infinitely more difficult to crack. Yep. But and And a longer password. Yeah, yep. like, like, like uh, my cat is unreasonably stupid, dot four equals, then you're good. Yep. That's way, way harder to crack than eight completely unintelligible characters. Yep. And, and, and you can actually see that if uh, you look at the password protection feature of Azure AD, which you now can run on-prem as well. Mm-hmm. 
because there you can enter your words that you don't want your users to use in a password. Okay. So, for example, have you ever received a password saying Sommar 2018? Exclamation mark. Only like a hundred times. Exactly. So summer 2018 exclamation marks. That's a perfectly from a Windows perspective safe password. Mm. You have um, complex characters, complex characters, numbers, yeah. everything. But it's not safe because mm. it's super easy to guess. Mm. So in password protection in Azure AD, you can actually add words like summer yep. and so on. But when you then calculate the security score, so, so that would mean that if you add summer, you wouldn't be able to put in a password saying summer. All right. But the way you calculate the safeness of a password is depending on how many of these words you add. So say that you add summer, winter, autumn, spring, penguin. All right. They are all considered uh, too easy as passwords. On their own. On their own. But if you combine all of those five, uh-huh. you would still get a password that this service would consider safe. Because you're combining five passwords that would give it a score that would make it safe. That's very yep. smart. Yep. I but like then it. again, you have so many good ways of securing this without or combined with passwords. Windows Hello. Yeah. So just the pin that works on your only device. My main issue with Windows Hello is the fact that I'm getting old and constantly forgetting my password. (laughs) Your pin code, yeah, but no, 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 not the pin code. Your face. No, I, (laughs) I have yet to forget my face, (laughs) but I'm sure it's going to get there. But the thing is, if if the camera doesn't work, for instance, or I have to log in somewhere where I don't have a camera, then I am going to have to rely on my password yep and if i'm not constantly refreshing my memory by writing the damn password mm, yeah. yeah but we're working on sorting that out as well yeah i have a i have a post-it on underneath my <laughs> laptop so i'm good i'm good <laughs> you drop it everywhere but you're you're good yeah that, that's a good point yeah so you've been where have you been <laughs> i've been uh, on ireland Yes, you have. Yeah, uh, and that was an absolutely wonderful experience. So I, we spoke about it last time, just before I started the course. Mm. So I was asked by Micro Warehouse on Ireland, or in Ireland, to go there and hold a two-day course on Microsoft 365 Business. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and it turned out great. We we had a you two... sound surprised. Yeah, <laughs> not surprised, but but. When I say great, the, the students were amazing. Okay. They worked really hard. Mm-hmm. They managed to sort out even the labs I've written wrong. Everyone learned so much, even I did. Okay. Uh, and we really realized the value of the Microsoft 365 business skew. Oh, cool. So if you're less than 300 users, definitely look into that because you will be getting features that a larger organization would need to buy an E5 SKU to get. What are the requirements to be able to buy a business SKU? Up are, to are 300 you... users. Okay, so you're not forced to use an enterprise SKU. Yep. Oh, interesting. Yep. Uh, but it was great fun. 
I hope to be able to go back shortly mm-hmm. and do another course on the same topic. Uh, but you learn so much because you really the course was about getting the most out of the SKU you're buying mm. because it's it's still money. Oh it, yeah, yeah. Um, and I had to read up on a bunch of especially exchange stuff okay. because that's where you're getting the E5 features. So advanced e-discovery, litigation holds, in-place holds. Uh, Ash uh, Office 365 ATP. Oh, really? Like ATP is, is in the business queue? Yes. Uh-huh. The Office 365 ATP is included in the business queue. Nice. Or most of it, at least. So it was great fun. I learned a lot. And I always enjoy going to other countries and, and understanding their challenges. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've said it a thousand times, we are so spoiled in Sweden when it comes to licensing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ireland has just gone through a, a major financial crisis. Yeah. And what we, in many cases, assume as something everyone has, so volume licensing, uh, enterprise SKUs for mm-hmm. Windows, mm-hmm. that's really uncommon in Ireland. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, like, unheard of. Um, very few of them even have volume licensing. So they go OEM and put on services on top of that. So this is about really maximizing the value out of the licenses they buy because mm. they have to. Mm. Like look at, look at many of our Swedish customers. They buy Office 365 E3 or Microsoft 365 E3 yeah. and use 10% of the features that are available. Should they look into business instead? If they are below 300 users, definitely. I had a, a case yesterday where we have a customer. They are like 200 people where we had offered them an Office 365 E3 plus EMS E3. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at it, like, why are you doing this? If you look at the business queue instead, you get that and more for less money. So pretty much a no-brainer then. Yeah, yeah. If you're but, on the... but people don't know about the business queues. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, we, we that's what we discussed in at uh, Tech Summit yeah. last spring. Yeah. And I I still I'm still convinced that if you want the most secure windows, you should really look into an e, uh, an E3. So get enterprise because yeah. in the Microsoft 365 SKU you only get the unheard and unknown windows version of Windows 10 business. Right. So that's in between pro and enterprise. Yep, yep. Uh, so I, I'm still saying that if you have and are considering to use a local AD for a considerable amount of time looking forward, you could still look into getting the enterprise queue to get all the security features there. But from the cloud services perspective, mm. business is definitely something to look at. And I think we really need to emphasize the, the value of it for smaller businesses moving forward. That, that's, a, that's a top tip yeah. right here. So just to add to that, the recommendation which I made at the course as well, look into buying Microsoft 365 Business and Azure AD Premium, Premium P1. Yes, yes, always Azure AD Premium. Yeah, but you get some features of Azure AD Premium in the business queue. Oh, really? But what you aren't getting, for example, would be the multi-factor authentication for everyone. Oh, so that's an add-on to the Microsoft 365 SKU. But some of the things that are included in the the um, P1, like branding, mm-hmm. that's included in business already. 
So you're basically paying to get a few more settings like the protect your passwords on-prem, like uh, multi-factor authentication for all users and so on. So Microsoft 365 Business and the add-on of Azure AD Premium P1. That's cool. gold. Yeah. And when I was in Seattle last time, yep. I had a discussion with, among others, uh, one of the, the program managers for Power BI. Yep. And we came to talk about the Power BI desktop application. Yep. And it turns out that there, there are a few issues because you have two ways of, of getting the application. Either it's the store version. Yep which has the benefits of being automatically updated. Yep. Or you can download the file and install it, the, the MSI package. Yep. The problem with doing it the store way is... That it will automatically adapt to the language of the machine you're installing it exactly, on. Exactly, which can be a bit of a bummer. Yep. And he said, well we need to package this or, or I, I I told him that that Simon has talked about this and is thinking about writing a blog post on how to package Power BI desktop and kind of alleviate all your yep. issues and he said oh do it man do it and now and Simon, so I did Simon has done it yeah so like I said in the blog post this, this isn't from an intune perspective not in any way a complicated blog post. It's not deep dive in any way. Mm. But it does show the abilities and the functionalities and the ease of use of Intune for people that normally wouldn't be using it and doesn't know how to manage it in a centralized way. Yeah, in because in many don't cases... don't even know what Intune is. Exactly. Good point as well. So, so in this blog post I show how to both distribute the store version of it mm-hmm and the MSI version of it, yep. and show how easy it is, and discuss the pros and cons of both. So the, the store version for Windows 10 is definitely the one you should consider first, in my view. I agree. Because it will be the easiest one to manage, it will be the easiest one to do your feature upgrades for, it will be updating itself. But if you run into the challenge of the languages, yeah, you should look into... Or if you if you want control of the release management of it, mm-hmm. you should look into the MSI. Yeah, because it's it's feature parity between those two. Otherwise, um, so it's all a matter of control or ease of management and the language, of course. But it's it's been received fairly well, I would say. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was great fun to write. Yep. It shows how easy it is that you do not need to repackage it. And that's a question I've received four or five times just yesterday. So how do we package this? And my reply to that currently is you don't need to package anything anymore. The only reason for creating a new package out of something would be out of a user experience perspective. So you don't need to repackage it just for the matter of getting into an MSI format or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you want to add licensing keys, first run experiences, settings, then you repackage it. But in many cases, you don't need to do that anymore. So, so in that case, you have the package consisting of the actual executable and metadata and settings. Yep, yep, yep. And that's the package. That's the package. Cool. And um, next week, I'll be going to Finland. 
oh yeah, you're you're going to hold the Swedish flag in in Helsinki. And I'm not the only one. No, but uh, yeah, that would be great fun. I'll tech be days. speaking about tech days in Finland. You spoke there yesterday, or yesterday, yesterday last right. year, last year, correct, <laughs> last year, and you were really impressed by the entire event. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was a great event, and so many nice people, very well run. Yep. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be presenting on Windows Virtual Desktop. Uh, so the same session as I did in Munich. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really looking forward to is now getting the the other perspective of it. Because in Munich, I had an audience where 100% of them all are, are already working with end-user computing, with Citrix and VMware especially, some RDS as well. Ah. And now I will be getting the Microsoft audience and see how they look at it and what they would like to use it for. Are you going to tweak your session at all? A bit. I think I'll be changing a few demos mm-hmm. and add more demos all right. to make it a bit more a higher pace of the presentation. Okay. Um, because I, I really think that to understand the the benefits of Windows as a service or uh, Windows Virtual Desktop, you need to understand the ease of use of it because it's it's really easy to manage and it's easy to get going. It's easy to use from an end-user perspective as well. So I'll be doing some more demos and using demos to explain parts that I only did talk about in Unix. So that will be great fun. And there were a bunch of other very interesting sessions at Tech Days in Finland as well. I'm especially looking forward to a session where I'll understand nothing uh, with one of the program managers for Azure Storage and how some of the autonomous cars are using Azure Storage. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so that will I'm be... Ve- uh, very Yeah, I won't understand a thing, but it will be <laughs> very interesting. Since I'm considering that my next car will have the possibility to drive by itself. So I need to trust it. Interesting. Yep. And that is a pretty good place to stop this, <laughs> this stop week. the car stop the car get out of the car get to the chopper get to the chopper yes and we'll see you next week we will have a good one bye bye